First Christian Church is consistently seeking Jesus. First Christian Church challenges me to be a better disciple of Christ. Belonging. Hope. Community. Community. Fun. Love. Home. Home. First Christian Church is encouraging. Salvation. For me, first has been a picture of forgiveness. Community. Home. Inclusive. Caring Church. Community. First Christian Church is family. 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 Our forever family. Family. First is home. You know, they say we constantly overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in five. But how about 70? March 15th, 1953, a handful of people met the McKinley YMCA to start First Christian Church. And just a few months later, 76 people became the first charter members of the church we call home. And when you think about it, 70 years is a lot of time and quite a bit can happen. I mean, frankly, just being honest, that's double my age right now. You think about scripturally what also happens within a 70 year span. You know, every seven years, the Lord told Israel to take a Sabbath. That's 10 Sabbath years happening for the nation of Israel. They wandered around the desert for 40 years. Uh, 50 years was the year of Jubilee. That was the year every debt got repaid, the slaves got set free, and they were under Babylonian captivity for that same amount of time, 70 years. In 70, it's also one of those holy numbers, one of those sacred numbers. It takes the, the number seven perfection, combines it with the number 10, the completeness of God's law to, to give us this idea that 70 means complete power and unity in God's direction. I'm Scott and this is my wife, Stacy Trumbull. And um, I've been coming here to first my whole life. Uh, and Stacy, since we got married, so uh, we've both been here a long time. So when I was 15 years old, I just decided I was going to come here to First Christian and I walked those four blocks to church. My name is Bob Trumbull. Uh, so somewhere in there, in the 50s, late 50s, uh, we became uh, members for First. My name is Ben Trumbull. Um, I've grown up in the church and uh, the church has meant a lot to me over the years, um, from a youth group to now as an adult and having um, three children of my own and watching them um, grow up in the church has meant a lot to me. First Christian Church has meant uh, like family to me. My husband and I were married at First Christian and our sons were uh, taught at First Christians. Their faith was enriched and each of them accepted Christ and were baptized at First Christian. I've grown so much through the way people have poured into me and cared for me. We developed such a close relationship with those people that were in our Sunday school class. And uh, as a result, uh, uh, this was community. This was uh, family. As I look back, you know, in my life, First Christian is just a huge part of it. I've always appreciated the loving community and the and um, the church being founded on the Bible and what the Bible says. We've, we've changed locations a few times. I remember the days on, on John Street and then um, we had the Urbana location for a while, but uh, what it all comes back to though is um, community. Church is not a building, it is people. And I just pray that we will uh, uh, continue to uh, be a body of believers that uh, is family. First is a, a, uh, a loving community. And you were baptized here, right? Mm -hmm. 
I'd like for our church to continue to be a warm, friendly church and maintaining those same strong principles of the Bible. Playing on the playground. I like a warship and playing on the playground. So as we celebrate, we begin to remember 70 years of First Christian Church, what is it that God might be asking us to do? So I begin to think about it, pray about it. If I'm being honest, I didn't really know what to do or what to think or what to consider. And he kept saying to me, what about the 72 disciples? And I kept saying, God, God, that's 72. We're in year 70. And he showed me this in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord appointed and sent out 72 others. So there it is at 72. But then I noticed it has one of those little footnote annotations. Some manuscripts call it 70. And so there it is. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town, every place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into the harvest field. Go, and I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. For 70 years, First Christian Church has been a beacon of that, of that the harvest is plentiful. I can't even begin to count and imagine how many people have said yes to Jesus, who've been baptized into his name, how many disciples have been sent out, how many pastors have been raised up, how many groups have been started, how many people have been benefited in our community, and how many ministries to collectively come together to make the name of Jesus great. And so when we begin to think about, this was the last 70 years. There's a lot to celebrate. You there, sitting there watching this, whether you currently attend first or perhaps you were a part of our church family in the past, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you maybe perhaps will do in the future to let God use you through this congregation. But it also begs another question. If this is what the last 70 years has brought, what about the next 70? And so I implore you to begin praying with us, praying with me, praying with our elders, praying with our team to think, if God could do this in 70 years, what might the next 70 years looks like? And I began to wrestle with that a little bit myself and, and things like, well, what would it look like if we didn't have debt in our building? How much more people could we reach? What would it look like to not just be a church that makes disciples, but we multiply our discipleship efforts? What would it be like to continue to be one of those churches that's a beacon in the community to be a place of salt and light, a place of hope, a place of love, a place of restoration? I don't really know, but we're on this journey together as we seek God to discern, hey, how do we follow his leading for the next 70 years to come? So thank you First Christian Church for the last 70 years and we look forward to the next 70 as a church family of how God might continue to help each other take next steps with Jesus. Happy birthday First! Happy 70th birthday First Christian Church, it means the world to me. Happy birthday First! Happy birthday First! Happy birthday First! Happy birthday First! Happy birthday! Happy birthday First! Happy birthday, birthday first. first! Happy, Happy birthday, birthday first! Happy birthday first! 70 years is 
quite a long time. You know, uh, I was thinking about this uh, story of the first time I met my in-laws. And my wife, Diane, and I, we had started dating. And so you always want to make a good first impression. And uh, my wife's uh, parents and then uh, my wife and I, we all went to the same university. And so we got to talking about what things are like and how they've changed and different and talking about, well, you know, where do you guys have uh, your chapel services, so on and so forth. And because, oh, the, the PW building, the PW building, and to which they said, you want to know something interesting? Uh, and I said, yeah, what's that? They said, that building did, wasn't even there when we attended. That, that building is, is, is not something uh, that, that we got to experience. And dead serious, without really, I leaned in and say, wow, that must be really old then. And so, I mean, it's kind of one of those things, like, you don't want to call your in-laws old the first time you meet them. Like, just, you know, word of advice, you don't want to just start off on that type of foot. But when you think about 70 years is a long time. 70 years, a lot happens over seven different decades. When you think about this, uh, 70 years, uh, companies like Microsoft is only 48 years old. Walmart, 61 years old. The first Super Bowl happened in 1967. If you're around in 1953, celebrities went by the name of John Wayne, Marilyn Monroe, Humphrey Bogart, and Doris Day. In 1953 specifically, the U.S. president was Harry Truman. It was the end of the Korean War. And that year marked the first time in human history that people actually climbed Mount Everest. 70 years is a lot of years. If you were to break it down, 70 years kind of looks like this. 70 years turns into uh, 3,652 weeks, 25,567 days, and 613,000 hours. Think about those numbers. That means church has had well over 3,652 services on Sundays. And that doesn't include the, the multiple services on a Sunday, so on and so forth. That means how many hours of sermons, Sunday school classes, worship services have happened, the thousands of baptisms, the community service that has gone on. And as you saw in the video this morning, the generations of family, the Trumbulls, all four generations or four generations of their family are represented in the last 70 years. And so it got me thinking uh, about kind of two separate questions. What will the next 70 years entail and what might it look like? What would the church, a first Christian church, look like going towards another 70 years of fruitful vitality as a congregation? In the past, we've had four different physical locations in which we've moved around. Things have changed. As far as we could count, we've had like four or five different branding changes over the years. Um, you know, but the think about in 70 years, I'm not going to be here. 70 years, most of you probably won't be here either. But the thing is that we want to see happen is that the same cornerstone remains, that Jesus and his word is what has gotten us through 70 years and keeps us going for the next 70. And so I began to wrestle with God with that first question, God, what is the next 70 years gonna look like for a church? What is First Christian Church of Champaign gonna look like for the next 70 years in a way that makes a difference in our community? And he led me to that Luke 10 passage. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10 uh, this morning. Uh, Luke's one of the gospel messages. Uh, we're gonna see some red letters from Jesus, kind of some of his things that he said. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, third book of the New Testament. If you came here this morning uh, ex uh, anticipating a continuation in our 
our First Corinthians series. We're going to pick back up next week. I also want to just briefly say uh, to those of you who, who maybe you are visiting with us again and you are not an old face as in age, but an old face as in uh, you have returned to celebrate with us this morning. We are so glad uh, that you chose to, to worship and remember with us. In Luke chapter 10, this is what the Spirit said. He said, Eric, this is what the next 70 years of faithful ministry could look like for you as a church and as a congregation. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and now yours might have a little uh, footnote that says sometimes the 72 says 70, which makes sense. 70 is much more of a whole biblical number here. Send them out two by two ahead of him to every town and every place where he was about to go. And he told them, and this is the important part, This is the part that we want to lean into. This is the part that we want to absorb. This is the thing that that we are going to hopefully continue to stake our claim on, which says the harvest is plentiful. On the count of three, everybody just say plentiful. One, two, three, plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out his workers into his harvest field. Go, for I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. So it begins to say, well, is it 70? Is it 72? Uh, Translations like to say, well, it might have been 70 and two because there's two already. Maybe it was 70 and they sent out two by two, so then it kind of got confused. But 70, completion, wholeness, power in the direction, the unity that God has ordained. And this is one of my favorite passages in scripture because it paints a very, very clear picture for who we are called to be. Who we are called to be as disciples of Jesus, who we are called to be as a church, as well as what we are called to do. See, this passage makes it clear that if you want to be a church that lasts 70 years or 140 years, there is a who in what we are called to be. And that who is that call to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower to kind of mimic who he is, what he does, to say that Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our master, that we are sent on a mission, not ordained by us, but on him. But then it begs more of that what we are called to do, though. Because I think sometimes if you were to pull a lot of people in the American church today or people on the streets and say, "Well, well, what are Christians called to be? What are Christians called to do? Why do churches exist? You might get a lot of varying answers. Well, they're just supposed to have churches on Sundays. They're supposed to open up food banks. They're supposed to marry and bury people as it happens. But the what is very clear in Jesus' eyes. Jesus said there is a harvest that is coming. There is a harvest that is happening. And as his people, you get to decide, are you going to be a worker in that or not? She doesn't say the harvest might be plentiful. It doesn't say if we, if we play our ducks right, the harvest will be plentiful. It says the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. He is the Lord of the harvest. It is his field that we step into. And so in a lot of ways, our 70 years as a church, it, it doesn't kind of just stop now. We don't get to pat ourselves on the back and say, guys, we made it 70 years. That's freaking crazy. Not a whole lot of churches get that opportunity, so we can just kind of coast it, right? We can just kind of put our feet back, sit back, relax. There's not much more that, that we really need to do. Look at the size of this. Look at how many people are here. Look at how many kids are terrorizing adults in the back, you know, bless them type of situation. 
But in fact, the opposite is true. There is still a plentiful harvest coming our way. There's a lot of amazing churches in this area. There's a lot of amazing people who don't call First Christian Church their church home who are in that harvest with us. But the mission remains hopefully the same for all of us. And that mission is to make the name of Jesus known. And so whether you want to call it sheep without a shepherd, and we point them to the great shepherd, whether you want to say they are our prodigal sons and daughters who we need to help them find their way home back to a loving, a welcoming, a God full of grace and love, whether it's the lost who need to be found, they need a direction, a lamp unto their feet, a truth that guides their life, this is why we are here. We are here because Jesus says there is a harvest that is plentiful waiting to happen. Now here's the thing is uh, most of you know, uh, I'm not a Midwest guy, or I I consider myself more of a Midwest guy now, but this idea of a harvest is kind of something, like I didn't grow up growing anything. Um, I didn't grow up growing even like flowers or or anything whatsoever. But when it comes to a harvest, the cycle's basically the same, right? Like, I don't know, I'm just, just guessing, but I'm pretty confident that in order to harvest, this is kind of the same cycle it goes through. You have to prepare your soil, you plant some seeds, You pray to God that it rains and things happen and bugs and things don't get in the way or whatever, but then you hopefully have a plentiful or abundant harvest. More or less, it's the same cycle year after year after year. Now here in the Champaign-Urbana area, we get the opportunity to kind of watch that before our eyes. You get to drive down certain blocks and you see nothing but flat ground for most of the year. And then uh, you get to see the, the tractors and the combines out there. They're preparing the soil at some point. Then they plant. And then you start to see things begin to kind of emerge out. And then there's the harvest point of the year. And then a couple, I don't know, weeks later, it's all gone. And then they start over. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. Now, what I know about harvesting is that it takes a long time. What I know about farmers is they should be, at least theoretically, some of the most patient people you meet. There's a process that you need to trust. Some years the harvest is better than others, but there's a tried and true way to go about it. You can't plant seed when it's time to harvest. And you can't harvest if there's nothing that was planted. You prepare the soil, you plant the seed, and then you harvest abundantly. And as Jesus says, that there are workers that need to continually do those things to see his harvest come to fruition. In some ways, that's who you are. That's who I am. That's who this church we are called to be is we need to view ourselves as people who get to partner with Jesus to harvest something eternal. There is a a preparing of the soil. There's a preparing of the soil of our hearts, of our minds, of our souls, while at the same time, too, we are praying fervently that Jesus is preparing the soil for those who have yet to step into his family. There's the planting of the seeds that takes place. Things that we do in the community plant seeds. Things that we do to invite others to join us plant seeds. The gospel message being preached regularly plants seeds of what is to come. And then there is the harvest abundantly. But the thing is, we can't harvest unless we've prepared soil and planted seed. At the end of the day, it's Jesus' job to make it grow. He's the climate that kind of sees these seeds come to something that is harvestable. You can't harvest if you haven't planted. You can't harvest if you haven't prepared the soil of your soul. 
And get this. I want you to hear this. Is you can't harvest unless you're willing to be in the field. Unless you're willing to also do some of the work. Now, being around the area for a little while, I've learned some of the idioms that uh, our farmers use, and so you can maybe uh, fill in the gaps for me if you're familiar with them, but uh, my favorite one is this phrase, never knew what it meant until it had to be explained to me, but it goes like this, knee high by 4th of July, right? And the whole point of that is to say, if you've got corn that's knee high by the 4th of July, means like you're on the right track, you're going towards a, a good year. Uh, I heard this one uh, recently, heard a couple guys uh, talking at Blaine's Farm and Fleet, and, and kid you not, he said this. He says, if you put uh, plant in the dust and your bins will bust, right? Some of you are like, that's a phrase? Yeah, it's a phrase. Um, and then one of the other ones, though, uh, that, that I heard recently is like, you can't finish what you haven't started. And in some ways, that's kind of an idiom for, for who we are as a church, is we can't harvest, we can't finish, we can't partner with Jesus if we haven't started the process. You haven't prepared the soil, you haven't planted the seed. The harvest is abundant, the workers are few. So are we going to be workers in God's harvest? That's the first question. That first question is, what will the next 70 years entail? Jesus has made it abundantly clear. He said, there is a plentiful, abundant harvest waiting. And what that means for many of us in the room, that means there are neighbors, family members, loved ones, co-workers, people who you deeply care about, who have yet to step into the family of God, who have yet to cross the threshold into an eternal relationship with Jesus. They are the harvest. That is why we do everything here, is to build you up, to equip you, to send you out so that we can see a plentiful harvest. Means the second question, though. So what is that next seven years actually going to look like? Or maybe you, we can ask it this way. Like, like, what does 70 more years of faithful ministry look like? Like, you think about it. Like, well, you've been here 70 years. Here's where we are. Here's where we live. Here's what we do. Da, da, da. In some ways, some of you might be content. Why don't we just keep everything the same? Why do we got to not change? Uh, can we just, just, just leave it all? Let's not touch anything. Let's not paint anything. I don't know. Whatever it is. And begin to say, God, like, like, that's cool and all, like a, a plentiful harvest. Lots of people who need to be, uh, to, to be uh, ushered into your glory, into your grace. But there's like, like 70 years, like, begin to ask, like, God, what does seven years, though, actually look like? Why does that make a difference? And I think that's the probably more important question we need to ask is not, is there a harvest? Is why should I care? Like, a little, a little, like if, we, if we faithfully harvest for another seven decades, what kind of difference is that actually going to make in the world around us? So I was praying, God, uh, I was talking uh, to the spirits, like, God, like, what does this mean? What does this look like? And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not like the most like uh, person when God says, go to this passage, read this, I'm going to show you what it means. Because I think there's sometimes some danger in that. But God said to me several times over, he said, go to Isaiah chapter 19. I want to show you something. I was wrestling with this question. God, what is seven years? What does it mean? What could it do? He said, go to Isaiah chapter 19. And he, he said, here's this passage, and I want to show you what 70 years, more years of faithful ministry could look like. And I want you to read this text for you. And I'm going to explain it because I believe it does answer that question. So this is what it says. It's going to sound weird at the front end. It's going to sound like I'm hopped up on some crazy juice, which most weeks, most of you think that anyway, so nothing's changed. 70 years of faithful ministry 
of harvesting abundantly. What difference might that make? Isaiah chapter six, uh, 19, starting in verse 16. It said, in that day, the Egyptians will become weaklings. And we're like, okay, I don't know. Who are the Egyptians? Well, they live in Egypt. We're in America. Why does this make sense, right? They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. But in that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. And one of them will be called the city of the sun. And in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. And it will have all signs and witnesses to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. And when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. And so the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and they will keep them. And the Lord will strike Egypt with a plague and he will strike them to heal them and they will turn to the Lord and he will respond with their pleas and he will heal them. And in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egypts will go to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. And in that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on earth. And the Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Let me explain what what, what I kind of think why Jesus was like, this is what it could look like. If you were to go back in time, thousands of years ago, and talk to the, the Jewish people, the people of God in the ancient Middle East, and say, tell me about who's kind of your, your enemies. Tell me about who kind of gets in the way between you and God the most. Tell me about who kind of, kind of makes it difficult for you to feel and experience the blessings of God. They would have instantly, without a second thought, have said two different groups of people, the Egyptians and the Assyrians. They said the the Egyptians, for everything that they did for us, the time of Moses, the Exodus, everything there, and we're still bitter and against them, and they seem to still always be against us. And then there's the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are, are the people that consistently attack and want the nation of Israel, the people of God, to be oppressed and to not experience God's vitality. And in this text, God says through the prophet Isaiah, there will come a time When Egypt, who doesn't know you, doesn't worship you, doesn't claim the name, the Lord Almighty, they will worship him and they will put an altar in the middle of their city. And there will come a time in which they will build roads that connect Assyria and Egypt, that all roads lead through Israel and they will worship the Lord Almighty. And if you're one of those Israelites, you're saying, hold up, wait, time out, time out. What? Isaiah, you're you're, you're literally crazy. You're saying our two biggest sworn enemies, there will come a time in which they are a blessing and they are a handiwork along with our inheritance. There is no group of people that the Israelites would have rather not wanted to know God. There is no groups of people that when they hear the words that they will be blessed by the Lord Almighty, let alone welcomed, received, and worshiping him, that they would say, not quite buying it. But the promises of God are the promises of God. There will come a time in which they will know the name of the Lord. 
They will worship the name of the Lord. The roads will connect so that all may come and worship the name of the Lord. What does an abundant harvest potentially look like? It looks like that. It's people who were far from God, people who were against God, people who used the Lord's name in vain, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, who wanted absolutely nothing to do with the name of Jesus, his church, his people, who began to worship above all else. Because the heart of God has never changed. The heart of God has never shifted. The heart of God is for all people to turn, to repent, to receive grace, that God has always desired for all people to know his name, to worship his glory, and to be glorified by everyone everywhere. And it would have been really, really easy for the Israelites to get kind of stingy. Some of them probably were made a little uncomfortable. Man, I don't really know if I want to go work in, in that field. I don't know, I kind of like things the way that they are. This feels good to me. Good enough is good enough, right? And Jesus is saying there is a harvest that is abundantly waiting, and the workers are few. It will transform a city. It will transform nations. It will transform everything that we know, that there will be peace when there hasn't been. There will be knowledge when there hasn't been. There will be worship where we never thought it could have ever existed because that is God's heart. Now, I wasn't there way back then, but I would venture to guess that some of their leadership was asking some big what-ifs when they, when they heard this prophecy read to them. What if this plan actually happens? Does that, does that mean we gotta like befriend those people and welcome them in? What if those roads actually get built? What, what if peace of that degree was made? What if God actually does bless who we think are our enemies and adversaries and really they begun to become people who belong in our family, not just us? What if, what if, what if? And then you move to the New Testament. What if the Son of God really does die as the Savior of the world? What if the church leaned in and learned to be the love of God and to see others as best they could like he does? What if churches continue to become beacons of hope and grace and truth? What if generations of families worshipped together? What if people who we thought never had a chance of hearing the gospel, of knowing Jesus and them knowing that Jesus loved and died for them have an opportunity to do so? What if? See, it's not uncommon in the kingdom of God for what-ifs to become more like what's and wins. In the kingdom of God, what-ifs are more like what's and wins. It's not a matter of what if the harvest comes. It's not a matter of what if Egypt is allowed in, so to speak. It's not a, a matter of what happens if that altar or temple gets built. It's a matter of what and when. Because when God speaks his promises, when God says to be true to his word, when God sends a beacon and a hope, it's not a matter of if it will come, it's a matter of what and when. It's not what if an abundant harvest was waiting for us. It's not what if Jesus was preparing souls in your lives to know that he loves them. It's not if, what if people need to be discipled and sent out. It's what and when. The what stays the same. 
There is an abundant harvest. There is work to be done. There is a gospel that is needing to be shared. There is love that a community needs. There is a savior that loves them, died for them, calls them to new life. There is a truth, a way, a lamp into the world's feet and we get to participate in that. The what is there. The question is when. To me, that's what it boils down to over the next 70 years. The what is in play for us, the what, the path has been shown, it's a matter of when for us. It's a matter of when for you. It's a matter of when for your family. It's a matter of when do you get into the field and work. When this abundant, will, will, when will it happen? My answer is, like, I don't know. Like, I literally have no idea. I don't have like special uh, telephone communications with God or got him on speed dial. Like, okay, hold on. At what point are we going to have an abundant harvest? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, I'll let him know. Because that's not the point. The point is, God said, this is what's going to happen. When it is, is up to me. Are you ready or not? Hide and seek. I don't know, right? Are you hiding from me? Are you, are you hiding from my will? Are you hiding from what I have sort of, or are you seeking? Are you seeking to walk with me? Are you seeking to harvest? Are you seeking to be one of those few workers to participate? It's a matter of when. And so when I think of the next 70 years for us, what I want us to do is to be ready to capitalize when the when comes, to prepare and to plan for when the promised plentiful harvest comes. If you were to ask me to, Eric, what's the next seven years hopefully going to look like? This is what I would say. Let's prepare and plant for the plentiful promised harvest that Jesus said. He says, it's coming. It's there. But are we ready? Are we ready? I want us to be a church ready for when when comes. And for some of us, it might start with preparing the own soil of our hearts, our souls, because we can't plant seeds, we can't harvest unless we've been prepared. Unless we know who Jesus is, recognize his face, know how to hear his voice, have dug a deep well into his love, prepared our soul so that when we plant seeds, as he waters seeds, as he leads us to people, we can be prepared to harvest. And for some of us, that might be your call. Your next step, your next year of faith, whatever it might be, might be to be actually preparing yourself. Like, I don't know how many of us wake up on a, on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, and view ourselves as a worker preparing soil so that a plentiful harvest might happen. Others of us, you've been preparing. You've probably over-prepared. You've probably spent decades preparing. And it's time to begin planting those seeds. And you know those people. You know those places. You know those opportunities and relationships that Jesus said, plant the seed, I'll take care of the rest. But I don't know. When the harvest comes, I want us to see it. I want us to know it. And I want us to say, good, we've prepared for this. This didn't happen accidentally. 
This isn't something that we're just like, oh, I don't know what happened. Oh, we're, uh, well, these people, these people want to get baptized. One here, okay, I guess we'll do something. It's like, no, 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 we've been preparing. We've been praying. We've been plotting. Not like negatively, but we've been plotting. We've been planting seed because we expected that Jesus would bring a plentiful harvest when he saw it fit. So that's what I want this church to be for the next 70 years. Preparing and planting seeds for the promised plentiful harvest that is to come. I want to pray for us uh, as we get ready to partake in communion together this morning. Again, one of those cornerstones, beacons to, to gather weekly to remember the name of Jesus. His work for us, the, the gospel message that has given us that new life. And what I want to encourage you to do uh, during communion time is if you are a member of the family of God, uh, think about preparing the soil of your heart. Maybe there's soil in, 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 in lives around you that are ready and you just need to be the person to plant that seed. You just need to, to make that ask, make that invitation, share them that good news ever so basically that, hey, did you know? that Jesus died for you, Jesus loved you, Jesus called you to a new way of living. Think about what 70 more years of prepared soil and planted seeds would look like as a harvest in the field of God. Let me pray and we're gonna continue to worship this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives. We thank you for the way in which you have been savior over all. Lord, for generation after generation after generations, thousands of years, you have promised to welcome in anyone and everyone who repents of their sin, accepts you as savior. And we thank you for that message. Lord, I thank you. We celebrate today 70 years of amazing, fruitful harvesting of your work in your field. And I pray that this just marks another 70, that we continue to see the work that is to be done. We are thankful that we get to be a part of it. I'm so grateful for so many men and women and families and disciples and groups and and, and ministries that exist because they've prepared soil for decades so that we might make your name known. Thank you, Jesus. Do a work in us. Use us mightily. Use us powerfully so that we can continue to partner in your promised provisions of a plentiful harvest. We worship you and you alone. Amen.